Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. Welcome back, everybody, to the ElfQuest Show podcast. David here, and I'm joined by Ryan. How's it going, Ryan? Good, really good. I'm glad to hear that you're not uh, too snowed in down there. Oh, geez. I'm not even going to go off on a tirade about how ridiculous Washington, D.C. is with snow because it's <laughs> it's been a week and it's still not even like half dug out. So, yeah. It's like a go back. <laughs> I, I, I wish people around here were like go back so we could <laughs> cope with this, but not so much. So, Hopefully, you know, it'll it'll melt. We, you know, just have mountains of snow everywhere from the plows and, you know, people haven't dug out their cars yet. So it's just, yeah, it's crazy, but. Well, good excuse to go sledding, right? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I have not gone sledding, but lots of people have just judging by the Facebook pictures from all of my friends. So, you know. So we are here to talk about issue number 13 of the final quest. Mm-hmm. And we're now past the halfway point. We're, we're past the halfway mark. And I hope everybody got a chance to listen to the last episode, which was a special episode where we had Wendy and Richard themselves on with us um, to talk about just that, you know, sort of everything about Final Quest, where we are now at this halfway mark and and how they were feeling. And um, again, if you haven't listened to it, definitely go back and give it a listen because it's just totally filled with inside insight from Wendy and Richard. So yeah, that was a really fun episode to record. I'm glad we got a chance to do that with them. I, I am too. And I'm really glad that we were able to do it with all four of us because the first time we interviewed Wendy and Richard, um, you, know, you weren't around and yeah, it happened sort of on the fly. And yeah, so I, I was really glad that you got a chance to talk to them directly. Mm-hmm, me too. Well, you were at um, Comic-Con, weren't you, for the first one? Um, no, I wasn't at Comic-Con. I was out in L.A. doing... Um, doing one of my TV appearances. And when I'm out there, I usually try to make a visit with Wendy. And so that's what I was doing. And oh, okay. she said, Oh, Richard's available. You want to do the interview now? And so it was like, you know, I wanted to take advantage of that opportunity. And yeah. so, you know, Definitely. that's why it, uh, we weren't able to grab you, but, um, but no, yeah, I, I was really pleased though that I was able to have a chance to talk with them directly. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, before we dive into 13, um, I don't think there's really any other big updates. I can't remember if we really talked about the um, the the Flesk books, the Art of ElfQuest, um, that um, did the, the Kickstarter. Yeah, I, well, we've we've obviously talked about it while it was running. The uh, right. campaign was running, but I don't think we've really talked too much about it if at all um, since it's been released. The article. Yeah, I, I'm assuming that that you pledged the Kickstarter and you got it, or not? I do have it. Yep, Excellent. I've got it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, me too. Um, I uh, I actually have a couple copies of it because when the when Flesk first announced, I guess last spring that they were going to be doing the books um, or, or the book. Cause at that point, I think it was just the art of elf quest that was really locked in, you know, it was available via Amazon. So I did a pre-order and then later when they decided to do the Kickstarter and really make it a much bigger project and do the crowdsourcing to fund 
not only the art of ElfQuest, but the the um, the art of the story of ElfQuest, yeah. and also the line of beauty, um, plus all the other great Kickstarter goodies that were exclusive to the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. I of course had to participate in that, and mm-hmm. I didn't cancel my Amazon pre-order of the uh, the trade edition of the art of ElfQuest. So I I have a couple copies here, but I'm not going to complain about that. No, no, of course not. That's yeah. uh, you've got your your uh, reading copy, and you have your your copy to seal and keep in the safe exactly yeah and and you guys if you guys have not gotten the books if you didn't pledge the kickstarter you actually can still purchase the books both the trade edition as well as the deluxe edition which has 16 extra pages directly from flesk publications so just google them find them on facebook um you know it's been posted to the ElfQuest website as well as the facebook groups and everything so if you if you missed out on pledging for the kickstarter you won't have available you know all the extra kickstarter exclusive goodies but you can still get the books including that deluxe edition which i think is totally worth it so it's, it's pretty awesome stuff and the thing that to me that is the most awesome is you know yeah it's great to see all of the the art and it's really really well done as far as the production values of the book um you know the art is displayed wonderfully and it's big and you know a lot of rare stuff is in there and even some stuff that's never been published before or seen print anywhere at least not that i've ever seen and i feel like i've seen pretty much everything mm-hmm. um, so, but the real the real thing that's awesome about it is the the commentary. Literally, every almost every page anyway has some yeah. sort of commentary and reflection on that particular piece from Wendy and Richard themselves. So it's almost kind of like the podcast that we did last time, yeah. um, getting to hear directly from them. But it's uh, that to me was the real gold of that book. Absolutely, it's great to be able to see the insight into the creators' minds as they were, you know. A, publishing the story and and for each cover or piece of artwork um, the story behind it it's uh, it's an amazing experience and and a treasure trove of insight for for us as fans so yeah it's well worth it so yeah so everybody go out and get the art of ElfQuest from Fles publications you'll be doing yourself a favor it's a must-have for any ElfQuest fan all right so final quest issue number 13 mm-hmm. so this this is an interesting issue because you know the last the last issue the last couple issues have you know were sort of these huge bombshells about Cutter and Tamain and and this shared soul business and the higher self and the lower self and all that and yeah. um and in this episode we kind of like that bomb that bomb has dropped and yeah. and this this issue I mean we it kind of picks up and 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 the story really just starts racing forward at this point. Yeah, that's exactly uh, how I felt about it as well. It um, it's very um, straightforward in that respect. Uh, there's not really a lot of um, like mystery or those moments that you're talking about where, with the bombshell moments. Really, right, um, it, right. it's just a pretty straightforward episodic issue, and it's it's just moving the the story forward. Yeah, and I actually kind of like that. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, me too. It, it's just. Um, yeah, I mean, again, the big bomb has dropped, and now we're kind of racing towards, you know, the fallout. And mm-hmm. um, and and again, the issue is pretty action packed. I mean, it starts with Rayek basically bobbing the crap out of the the Jun's war fleet, um, and you know, the aftermath of Venka getting shot, yep. which is pretty 
you know, uh, all very dramatic. Um, so I don't know what, what, where do you want to start with that whole, that whole scene? There's so much going on. Well, uh, I'm looking at the first page right now and I'm just looking at that wound that Venka has and it, it looks, um, it's just this huge gash from her shoulder down to her, her chest. And, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty brutal looking. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, viscerally, it really sort of conveys that the, the pain that she's going through and the look on her face, you know, it's, it's just a really um, effective, uh, it's effective at getting across what's happening to her in that moment. Uh, totally. And Wynn you know, can even says that her shoulder is shredded. Yeah. And I think that's that's exactly the way that Wendy illustrated it. Because, you know, in the the one panel that we saw her get shot, it wasn't totally apparent if it just sort of glanced off her or you know it obviously didn't like hit her in the heart but now in this in this very first panel you see it it wasn't just a glance it was you know did a lot of damage yeah like it it ripped her open i don't think it went right through her it i think it did graze her but enough that it like ripped the skin open it's pretty gory looking so yeah um yeah it's definitely a, a serious wound well, yeah, when they're when 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 um, Snakeskin and Skinback are healing her, mm-hmm. you know, they basically say like it, it shredded or it, uh, it it went right through and broke her collarbone and you know ripped the flesh open and everything. So yeah, it definitely was um, splintered collarbone and severed muscle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting to note there that um, it's it's clearly stated here that um, Skimback is the strongest healer amongst the wave dancers. I had always assumed for some reason that it was snakeskin that was stronger. Really? Healing abilities. Yeah. Um, but obviously I, I was wrong about that. Well, I, that, that's, that's curious. What made you think that? I don't know. <laughs> I just assumed that for some reason. Maybe I, I thought I read that somewhere or I'm not sure. Maybe yeah, because cause... I saw him, um, involved in the shape changing of Sunstream, although Skimback was involved in that too. So right, right, yeah, oh. yeah, um, yeah. I always was under the impression that um, that well, whether or not he was stronger was not really anything that I thought about, but just that you know, it's the point has been made that that Snakeskin really isn't natural when it comes to sort of the healing aspect of his magic versus like the coral shaping aspect of it. So. No, he's definitely, uh, yeah, it's clear to me now, obviously, that it, that that's the case, um, that his coral-shaping magic is is stronger than his healing magic. Right. Oh, and speaking of which, there was an interesting um, discussion on the, uh, the, uh, the Facebook fan page about Snakeskin's powers. Um, and, you know, I think it's really neat because corals are, are animals. Yeah. And so they, you know... It, I, I think sometimes people think of them more as like stone or maybe inanimate plants. objects. Yeah. yeah. So, right. so the idea that, that there's this elf that has this, you know, sort of a manifestation of the healing power that we've seen in, in other elves. Right. Um, but for whatever reason, he's not super comfortable with that application of it, but he's channeled it into this other thing. And that is, you know, growing these living animals, the corals. And it just so happens that corals, make these like sort of um stone-like calcium rich um you know sort of structures that they that they essentially live in it's kind of like a shell i guess and um so that you know so it's but so it can look and think like people might think of it more as rock shaping but it's really not it's really this 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 aspect of healing which i think is kind of neat yeah but 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 yeah i mean so so i think it's really neat the way that wendy and richard have done this is that you know you you kind of have 
these powers, but they're not necessarily like a set in stone power. They're sort of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like um, yeah, God, uh, don't ask me for the word. I'm always the one searching. Maybe the yeah, there's like a fluidity there. And so it's like different elves might have like the same sort of core uh, predilection with their magic, but it can it can manifest in, in a lot of different ways. And and so you've got you got Skimback, who is kind of like a traditional healer like Lita, like Mender, even like Winnowill. Um, but then you have Snakeskin, who, you know, has gone down this other route, you know, sort of using his powers for Coral. And then you have Reef. And yeah. Reef, who was initially introduced as as a third healer in the Wave Dancer tribe, but then that was not really some, something that Wendy and Richard had come up with themselves. That was when other folks were writing the Wave Dancers, and when Final Quest came about, and and I guess prior to that too, with the Discovery, Wendy and Richard really fully took over that tribe. You know, Wendy has said that you know she there, there's just too many healers. It's not really mm-hmm. the way the way that she would have gone if she had done it from scratch herself, but rather than just totally erasing the fact that Reef had some kind of healing magic, what we've seen is that his magic has then manifested in this sort of self-shaping way. And, um, you know, we talked about that in the the episode before last about just this sort of transformation magic into sort of monster Reef. And now we actually get to see him in action, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, it was really awesome. Um, but then he uh, sort of transforms out of that monster form when he encounters Winnowill. Um, Rayak shows up in the grotto where they've um, taken Venka for healing. And uh, Rayak arrives and Reef can sense Winnowill's spirit and it causes him to shape back into his, uh, I guess, his elf form, his original form. Right. How we want to describe that, but. Yeah, so which which is interesting because again we talked about this. It was like, what what is he gonna do? Like now he's a monster form. Is he gonna attack Rayek? Well, we talked because about Will's in there. Yeah, is he... what's gonna happen when Winkin and Reef encounter her? We were kind of contemplating both of those reactions, and both of them are in here, and both of them are completely different and really interesting in both respects, right? So totally, with, yeah. with Reef, we have him scared as hell, and he transforms i it seems like it's almost unintentionally like the right. fear of winnowill sort of makes him revert back to his wave dancer form yeah it's like you know he's so overwhelmed by his fear uh that he of her that he you know he does she's obviously not physically present present but they can sense you know the the, the malignancy that's within rayek and yeah. yeah he just like loses his whole grip and his bravado that he's got in his monster form and just basically melts into a puddle and dives into Korafe's arms and, you know, and then flees. So, yeah, I, you know, not... there's something he says here. And I mentioned at the top of uh, the episode here that there wasn't really much as far as mysteries are concerned or things that I wasn't quite clear on, but there is something he says when um, he transforms and he, he goes to Korafe and he says, you don't know, no one knows. And she says, reef. And then he, he takes off, he jumps back into the water and you see his butt. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> what is Elf butts. Yeah. Uh, what's he talking about? You don't know. No one knows like his, well, or is there something more to that? I don't know. I mean, that's one of those things where that could be a foreshadowing of something or, 
I mean, I just read it as, you know, he's gone through essentially what's a unique experience. We haven't seen another elf kind of be magically attacked and mutated in this way. I mean, Winnowill tried to do it to Cutter way back in the original quest. Um, you know, she was trying to use her magic to sort of melt him or whatever. And his, you know, his will was strong enough that she couldn't do it. But, um, you know, so I, that's how I read that. Just that, you know, what he's gone through is a unique, horrible, traumatic experience that lasted for thousands of years. And um, no one else knows what that's like to go through or, you know, he can't really explain why he's having such a reaction to her presence because, again, no one really knows what it's like to have walked in his fins, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I see that. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. It's just because Corfe right before that says, you shape yourself as you wish. And then his response is, you don't know. No one knows. And he takes off. Uh, right. So I'm kind so of thinking maybe there's something more going on here. Right, right. Well, we'll have to wait and see, I guess, right? <laughs> but you you know, you know, brought up Windkin, and, and again, we, we kind of speculated about what would happen when Windkin really kind of encountered Winnowill. And yeah, and didn't you say this? Didn't you say that you thought he might thank her? Or one, one of us said Yeah, well, because, because in, um, in, in a previous issue, yeah. so he says, he's like, I'm actually thankful um, yeah. that this happened. And it was so long ago, he's like, I don't have any grudges. And I just thought that was so such an interesting plot twist because, you know, we're so used to Winnowill being portrayed as like the ultimate villain. And, you know, and, and it's it's just like Winkin doesn't see her like that. I mean, I'm sure he sees that she's done all these awful things and that he would fight her if he needed to on that on that on those counts. But, you know, he he is sort of above all of that, not, or he's not so above all. I guess he's he's not he's above it all enough to be able to express that he really truly does feel gratitude. And not only that, he very strategically does it in this moment yeah. to knock her off her guard. And it absolutely works. And I think right. that is all so totally in character for, for these specific characters. Winnow will like, think about it. Winnow will has happily accepted her role as she's evolved into this, you know, sort of uber villainous over the course of the story, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, after, I think, you know, at, at the end of Kings of the Broken Wheel, when she confronts Lita and, and says, you know, you know what, I'm really not crazy anymore. I've spent all these 10,000 years under the waves healing those crazy parts of me that that festered in blue mountain i am now choosing to be this way and she actually specifically says that in the next story arc in shards she's like i have chosen this like i have chosen to reject love and i'm totally fine with that i'm not crazy i am just you know evil i guess yeah. this would be the, the only word that you could use for it and um and so through all of that, it makes total sense that if somebody she's just so used to fighting everybody that when somebody expresses a genuine, you know, feeling of gratitude towards yeah. her, it's like she's like, huh? And then that's all Ray needs to sort of capture her back in and knock her out, you know, and, and put right. her back to sleep. Yeah, you're right. It was interesting because he did have an ulterior motive in in, you know, expressing his gratitude to her. Um it was strategic, like you say. Oh, totally. Yeah, um, but yeah. at the same time, he it, it is um, he, he's sincere. 
Right, right. It, it, it's equal parts sincerity and manipulation. Yes, yes, perfect. Yeah, which makes Winkin an even more interesting character to me because he sort of falls into that gray area that some of the elves do. Like even Rayek, um, even though he tends to kind of his choices tend to take him towards like the dark side. Um, he's still sort of a gray character because then he he also redeems himself. Um, and I find Winkin kind of falls into that same sort of category to some extent. Not that he, he ever really falls to a dark side, but he's not above manipulating another elf. Totally, yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. And I like the way that you said that. He's sort of a gray character. And there are gray yeah. characters. I mean, Mender's yeah. a gray character. I was just thinking of Mender, too. Yeah. And Fairclaw. Bearclaw for sure. Yeah. Bearclaw's a little bit more dark than that. Just plain old gray. He's like, yeah. you know, soot colored. Yeah, <laughs> he might yeah. not quite be, you know, mm-hmm. in blackness. But, um, but yeah. So I, I, that's why that's one of the reasons why I really like Winkin, and I always have. Um, and it's interesting because I always I always got sort of a Rayaki vibe off of Winkin. Um, you know, I mean, we. we yeah. We saw him as as a baby in in Siege of Blue Mountain, and then we we got a glimpse of him as sort of a a teenager, young adult in Hidden Years Number Two, that issue where Kabi and Yun and um, Cha and Tildak attack the Sun Village, and you see him as this sort of young innocent thing, and you, then you don't really see him until he's over ten thousand years old after the palace gets stolen and comes back, and you know he's a he's been awake that whole time, he hasn't slept, and he's a much different elf. When we meet him again in the 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 New Blood Forever Green storylines, and actually of all of the characters in that storyline, I thought that Winkin was actually dealt with really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, he sort of had this this sort of a little bit of arrogance, a little bit of aloofness, a little bit of uh, in a way like headed in the clouds. And yeah. and and what's so cool is that that's where Wendy and Richard picked up with him in Final Quest. Mm-hmm. And they've completely, even though he hasn't been the main focus, he's been a secondary character. Yeah. And even though we're only 13 issues in and we haven't really focused on him per se, he's totally come on a whole other new story arc, like personality wise, I feel oh, yeah. in Final Quest. You know, yeah. like he's, he, he, he came out of the morass that he was in where he was just trying to forget everything and was almost frankly suicidal when yeah. Skywise and Lita found him. And now, you know, he spent whatever it is 40 years or so over the course of the time passage in final quest with a purpose and, you know, a new love mate and a Rory, his old love mate and Audrey, and he's doing stuff. And, um, I just think it's neat. And he's not, a you know, certainly not a bad character. No. Um, and, but he's not like a cookie cutter hero either, which is right. kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I, it's funny you should say he's a secondary character because he is and yet he's so integral to the plot of final quest like without winkin being involved in this story um the plot couldn't move forward he's oh totally of, he's sort yeah. of like a linchpin to yeah. some extent yeah and I, I actually you know the story sort of is in some respects revolving around his actions yeah no it's funny i i didn't really think of him that way but you're absolutely right i mean so much of what's happened so far really has been because of Winkin, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he's done some really significant things and had a really key role again, even though final quest isn't about him in the same way that it's about cutter and Tamane and, 
um, you know, even even Venka. So it's yeah, that's kind of yeah. I, I'm really I'm getting the sense that Wendy's sort of really fallen in love with Winkin in a way that maybe she hadn't before. Like he seems, I, I don't know. She just seems to be placing him in this this place of importance, and I, maybe he's calling out for that within the story. You know, it's required of him. But Wendy seems to be really taken by him. Yeah, I I, I think. Wendy might have said that in the last episode, or maybe that was something that she, um, yeah that I had a conversation with her about, and she mentioned it. But I think you're a thousand percent right on that, and I'm loving it. Right? I mean, mm. it's and it's it's also to me another great example of the difficulty in storytelling when you have all of these unique personalities and this huge cast of characters. I mean, it's really not what you should do and I'm, I'm using air quotes when I say that you know when like if you were going to sit down from scratch and start telling a story you probably shouldn't come up with like a thousand characters no. right? <laughs> not a good idea yeah but you know yet here we are you know almost 40 years down the line and that's what Wendy and Richard are have and I think that's one of the strengths of ElfQuest actually um you know but it can if not handled properly it can be a real mess and they're they're very skillfully and artfully weaving in these cool you know secondary and sometimes even tertiary characters in a way that you know feels right and i think you know in the very beginning of final quest some fans maybe who you know were not staying with the story for the entirety of 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 its lifespan uh, or and or new readers might have felt a little bit overwhelmed by the characters and it took a little bit of time for all the characters to be introduced or reintroduced and to all have all the 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 players fall into place and i feel like that's where we are in the story now yeah yeah everyone's getting their moment and um some more than others obviously because the the story requires that um but as far as like handling this cast of thousands um it's it feels like wendy and richard sort of have a handle on it and um you know are balancing out the the stories of the the main characters with those of the secondary and tertiary ones yeah well I, I, yeah i think they know what they're doing <laughs> yeah i would after 40 years i think you've got a pretty good handle on things but i think that's a really good point though because you know if you're especially if you're not used to reading comics period it, and and in terms of ElfQuest, if if you're a fan that has come into the ElfQuest fan by reading the graphic novels it can be a challenge when you're just reading individual issues, you mm -hmm. know, it's, um, you know, and, and there have been some, some gripes and grumblings from fans saying, Oh, you know, the issues are too short. It's, you know, like I'm not getting, you know, it's either moving too fast or it's moving too slow or whatever. And I, and I really do truly think that a lot of that is just the very nature of doing a comic book where you've got 20 pages and it's got to move forward, you know, every other month at that pace. And again, if you're a longtime comic reader or, um, you know, you, you started ElfQuest reading the comics before you read the graphic novels, it's probably easier to deal with. But I guess my point is, is that, you know, go back and read the the first Final Quest graphic novel that collects the first six issues and go back and now read the the, the second um, batch of issues that are going to be in the second graphic novel, which, by the way, is out in April. Um mm -hmm. And I think you'll have a very different experience than just reading them comic by comic. So, yeah, um, I'm looking so, forward to doing that myself, just to sit down with um, the first two volumes and go back through everything, reading it that way, just to just to see what that experience is like. 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, and, and I really do highly recommend that um, because it, it really is a different reading experience. And you start to see threads that are woven through each issue that are not apparent when, you know, you're reading 20 pages at a time every other month. Right. I mean, that's how I first um, read the series. I read it in the collected volumes. I didn't have to wait for issues. Right. I um, did, too. Know, the original Quest, at least. Yeah. I did too. Um, yeah, the original quest I um, I discovered in 1985, right after it ended. So I was reading it in graphic novel format. But then shortly thereafter, Kings, or I'm sorry, Siege of Blue Mountain started, and you know that's where I got my start reading it. You know, issue by issue, and it's been that way ever since. But wow. um, yeah, yeah. For me, it was um, so it would have been 1993. So 93 to 94, 95, right. which I collected all of the the volumes, uh, the original quest siege and Kings. Right. So I got to read all of that as uh, collected volumes. I didn't have to wait for anything. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I want to talk a little bit though about Rayek and Winnowell um, in this whole yeah. intro scene, because again, talk about artful and complex you know, this very easily could have been a scene where, you know, Winnowill possesses Rayek, blows everything up, and and that totally would have worked, right? But Wendy and Richard took it to the next level, and the the layers of, of mutual manipulation going on, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, frankly, that is what this scene is about to me. Yeah, Rayek's blowing up ships, and there's Junsmen going, you know, flying around and whatever – but the scene is really about the the the, the mutual manipulation of these two. You know, like Rick is a thousand percent aware that Winnowill is pressing his buttons in the exact right spot to fire him up to cause destruction because she gets her jollies off of that. He and he's totally fine with that. Yeah, because he even says that right that she's doing this to hoping to see your spirit self fly free from my dead carcass. Yeah. Like he's and, well aware of what she's up to, yeah. But he doesn't care because she's feeding his power, and he wants to kill these Jonesmen. Right, and and it's just like the 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 level of I don't again I don't know what the right word is, but it, it it's like deliciously evil the two of them in the scene because mm-hmm. they are totally playing each other. They're totally aware of it, yet they're fighting each other. You know, they want different things. They want the same thing on some level, but at the end, they really do want different things. Rayek wants to contain and control Winnowill, and she wants to get out. But they're willing to sort of strike this um, this this pact in this moment where she gets to revel in the death and destruction that she loves. He gets to get revenge on the humans, and they're yeah, and they're just kind of using each other to do that. And I just think again, the depth of the storytelling here is pretty awesome. Now, to what extent, though, is she controlling him? Because I get the sense from reading this that to some extent she is sort of possessing him. Because See, I don't if, it get took, that. If, if it took Winkin saying something to confuse Winnowill in order for Rayek to reassert his will, which is specifically how it's written, then that right. to me says that on some level, even if it's just a little bit, she's she's controlling him well here's how here's how i i interpret this is that imagine that that inside of rayek is a door and 
when the door is shut, when a will is sort of locked behind it. And in this instance, the door got knocked open halfway and she's able to reach out and kind of drive the ship a little bit and, and have her powers come out and essentially kind of use Rayek's body to, to channel her magic into his powers. Right. But she's not in total control. He's conscious. He knows exactly what's going on and he's letting it, he's letting it happen. And yeah, he knows no, I, in the back of his mind that he's got to get her back in there. But in the moment, he's so hell-bent on revenge that he doesn't really care. He doesn't give a shit. He's going to let her do it, and he's going to blast them and get what he wants out of it. She's getting what she wants out of it, a little bit of death and destruction. And neither one of them is really thinking about that next step. And then Winkin comes in and knocks them both back into reality. And then Ray is like, okay, i got to shut the door. And he does. You know what? Okay, so you know what it makes me think of now? Uh, maybe an analogy that could work. It's like when you get overtaken by an emotion, like uh-huh. say anger, for instance, and you're still consciously aware of how you're acting, and you might even regret it afterwards, but in the moment you're so passionately angry right. that you say and do things that you wouldn't otherwise say and do. Right? And yeah. so maybe to some extent that's sort of what this is like. It's like when a will is sort of like that emotional state that is inflames Rayek's passions and you know he's aware of what he's doing um and he's still in control to some extent for the most part but he's doing things that he might not necessarily do if he wasn't that angry say i think that's a great way of describing it i think that's exactly right you know it's and you know he's conscious of the the takeover and the manipulation Mm-hmm. At, you know, to the level that it's happening, but he's like totally fine with it in that moment because it's it's kind of consuming him. So um, yeah, I kind of now that I'm thinking about it, it's, I kind of liken her to an emotional state in her yeah. spirit form. She's like an emotional state. Yeah, she's like anger embodied. Right. Right. And then if you allow that in, then you, you're overcome by that anger. You're still in control. Um, but then when you when you calm down and you look at what you've done, you, you would go, oh my God, like I, I lost control. Right. Except I don't think Ray yeah. is doing that in this instance. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that he, would maybe take someone a little bit I mean, bit had, more. had Winkin not done that, um, yeah. and had Venka, you know, not been able to, you know, knock Winnowell out so that Ray could take back over, things could have gone very, very differently. You know, and, mm-hmm. and I think Ray would have regretted that. But since they didn't, he's like, okay, well, this is cool. I got to blow up a ship. And oh, and, and speaking of which, um, I'm looking at it on my iPad, so it doesn't have page numbers, but it's like one, two, three, four, five, the sixth page, that giant panel of the, you know, sort of the, the, the harbor there, the bay with the ships and Ray yeah. blasting them. I mean, mm-hmm. what an awesome panel that is. I mean, look at the yeah. detail. Forget about Ray. Just look at the ship and the color and the inking and the, the rendering of all that. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, it really is. Um, the lighting effects on that. Yeah. Yeah, with the fire, the flames, uh, this sort of sickly yellow color. Well, uh, yeah, and I'm glad you said that too, because that's something that I was just thinking is that, you know, several issues ago in the very beginning, Sonny had posted something, I think, on Facebook saying how, you know, usually the warm colors are inviting and the cold colors are sinister, but in i think it was in in maybe the first or second issue when when the jun and ember's tribe were fighting 
he was saying that. And I think this is another great example of it because the sky is, you know, it's sunset. And so there's like, you know, normally you think of like a, a calming, beautiful, glowing red and yellow sunset, but it just has this sort of sickly feeling, um, this anxiety feeling as portrayed in the scene. And it's, it's, it's again, pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking at their choral palace, the Wave Dancers Choral Palace, and I was thinking, uh, yeah, that's what you're saying is true, but um, their palace is in warm colors. But the more I'm looking at it, no, I, it's not. It's actually, it's reds, and they're cool reds. They're cool purples. And yeah. then there's blues and aquamarines in there. So, yeah, I think that's definitely a um, a, a theme that's been carried through as far yeah. as the coloring with this series. Yeah. yeah, and 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 you know, I'm talking about the 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 scenes that are happening above the water, um, mm-hmm. the sky and everything, and the battle, and and so um, you're right. There are warm colors in the the wave dancers' coral palace, but um, the the other thing that I wanted to bring up was the the page when Venka is being healed, and you know, just little cool details like Venka not making noise and just being sort of a hard, you know, hard ass, stoic. yeah, stoic. Um, you know, her daughter, her mother's daughter kind of thing. I thought that was a cool little touch. And I really loved in the middle panel on that page. Um, I didn't notice it when I first read it. Um, but if you look closely, Ekwar is holding Fenke's hand when he says brave yeah. child. And I just think that's so sweet and totally in character. And, you know, we all know yeah. Ekwar sees himself as sort of grandpa to all of the elves. And it was just mm-hmm. a sweet moment there. Yeah, and maybe even more so to Venka, right? Since right. he's almost like Rayek's father now. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, going back to what we were saying before about the way that Wendy and Richard are able to weave in these these little character development things throughout this bigger story that don't, again, that, that did not need to be in there at all whatsoever to move the story forward, you know, but they're they're constantly thinking about maximizing every panel to have that enriching experience for readers. And again, one of the things that I love about ElfQuest, so. Definitely, yeah. Um, so moving on, uh, we're out of the scene with the um, the wave dancers and the attack with on the Junsmen, um, and we're back at the Holt. So one of the things I really liked about this, the first page where we're back in the Holt, is the interaction between two characters who we rarely have seen interacting in the story. Um, and that's Nightfall and Strongbow. I don't think we we really have seen them too much, um, having you know m- private moments together. This 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 scene completely just blew me away. Um, I mean this this interaction between Nightfall and Strongbow is so ElfQuest to me in a way that I can't even articulate it. I mean it's just like to the the core and the marrow of what ElfQuest is, 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 is that last panel on that page when Nightfall mm-hmm. hugs Strongbow. Um, mm-hmm. And you're right. I mean, they're not two characters that we see on, you know, quote unquote on camera interacting a lot, but yeah, knowing both of their, their personalities and their worldviews, you have to, and their, their predilection, they're both hunters. They're both protectors. They're both archers. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm quite sure that the two of them interact a lot in daily wolf rider life. But this scene was just, again, it was just sort of floored me. And I kind of caught my breath when I saw it. Um, oh, you know, I can think of one specific example when the two of them interacted that was as impactful as this scene. And that was yeah. when 
in the original quest when Strongbow decides to leave the Wolf Riders and get out of Blue Mountain. And, you know, Moonshade makes the decision to, you know, follow him like she has done all the way up until Final Quest. And Mm -hmm. it's nightfall that as they're leaving, because Strongbow's bow was broken when the giant birds attacked, Hands, you know, comes up and gives, gives them her bow and her arrows. And they both, that's when they, everybody starts crying. And yeah. So this is another scene like that for me where, you know, it's like, the the well again it's another great example of something that maybe didn't really need to happen per se mm-hmm. um you know i could this scene could have been written where strongbow basically expresses that without without the nightfall part and it's the yeah. nightfall part that really is a thing that just punches you in the gut and 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 the hug and oh it's just i don't know what else to say about it other than well it's really it's really touching and i just the the fact that it's those two um and also um it seems here that sort of nightfall is in a way uh, she's letting everyone know where she stands as far as the choice that needs to be made. And she seems to be speaking on behalf of Redlands as well. So I'm getting the sense that Redlands and nightfall have sort of discussed this and they've decided that regardless of what happens, they're staying. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean, as far as like the palace leaving, yeah. They're going to stay. And because she says to him specifically, um, I promise we'll come back to honor the way with you. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think that you're absolutely right about that. And um, it doesn't, it, that, that doesn't surprise me in the least. Right. I mean, Nightfall no. is in many ways, you know, honestly, Nightfall in many ways is kind of the heart of the Wolf Riders. And, um, you know, she embodies the way, but she also, you know, sort of is, capable of seeing the bigger picture without it threatening her in a way that maybe strongbow isn't um mm-hmm. but she's a wolf rider i don't see nightfall you know being drawn to what the palace offers in the way that moonshade especially you know now in hindsight it does make a, a, like a, a lot of sense you know like when when moonshade made her decision and when that was hinted at in the earlier issues it was really difficult to wrap my mind around that but now that it's played out and now that i think about moonshade's personality comp- especially contrasted with someone like nightfall there, it, there, there it, there's a sense that is made out of it um so but to your point yeah i mean i i wouldn't imagine Nightfall and um, and Redlands picking up and traveling through the stars versus living in the woods somewhere on the world of two yeah. moons. Like I'm even thinking that Clearbrook and Tree Stump. I'm not a hundred percent sure if they would stay. I'm getting a sense that maybe they would go. Surprisingly, I'm surprising myself even saying that. But I I definitely feel like Nightfall, Strongbow, Redlands are staying. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I haven't really thought about the two of them. You know, I haven't gone through the tribe and like really thought about like who's going to stay and who's going to go. I've just been kind of on on the ride, but you're right. I mean, I think that, um, well, I mean, tree stumps shown us that he's probably more willing to adapt and take on new things than you would Mm -hmm. imagine for a sort of this sort of gruff elder, you know, stick in the mud kind of, type which he's been portrayed as you know sometimes in the past but um but yeah i mean this is an elf that went and lived underground and taught himself how to forge metal i mean that's not wolf ridery at all you know and and clearbrook was willing to go along the ride with him just because of love and support and all that so um, definitely 
Although I do love, I, I have to say, I do love the fact that we're seeing them actively in the halt because for a while there, I thought they really were just sort of exclusively living underground. And it mm-hmm. seems like they're kind of dividing their time. And when they're not forging metal, which obviously wouldn't be every single day, that they're just living the regular old wolf rider life. Yeah, no, that's their nine to five being in the troll caverns. They just head out to work in the morning and, and then come back to the halt at night. Right. And, and and I guess it makes sense, again, that they're not going to need to be down there every single day. It's not like no. everybody needs a new sword or a new arrowhead, you know, once a week. So um, right. I think maybe in the beginning they were spending a ton of time down there just trying to learn. But now that they kind of have the the have learned the ropes and with two edge helping them and teaching tree stump, you know, I'm sure they're probably only spending part of their time there, which is great. Definitely. Um, one more thing here about Strongbow is I'm still 100 percent sticking to my theory that he's completely resigned to the choice that Moonshade's made. And I feel even more sure about that now, given his, what he's saying here in these panels. Uh, well, he's I mean, I, chosen who knows why, but why not when the bigger truth, whatever it is, crushes the smaller, like he's to me, that's somebody who's not only resigned to his partner's choices, he's dejected and, well, that's just it. Yeah. Like, and I would say that the dejectedness is the, is, is the red flag that he's not like, he might've accepted it. I think what he's doing is he's trying to make himself accepted by telling himself, you know, why not? What's the big deal? But it's almost, again, the same kind of passive aggressive kind of thing. Like, well, yeah, she did it. You know, why not? Right. Cutter's running mad. Everyone can do whatever they want, you know, versus, I'm okay with this. It's not what I wanted, but I'm going to live with it. You know, I think those are two different things. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I mean, to me, I, I'm still reading <laughs> like, it and no. I'm going, no, <laughs> he's like, he's completely, he's accepted that she's done this and he's heartbroken, but he, I, well, that I agree he, with. Yeah. And I think, I think he's obviously heartbroken. I think he's trying to accept it, but I don't think he's accepted it yet. I think he's telling himself, that he's accepted it and he's saying to everybody else that he's accepted it. But I mean, the, the very fact that this storm between him and Lita is brewing, which we see again in this scene. Is it though? Is there, I think it is. I mean, I think, I I think there is the two of them are going to have, have it out. I think he's going to, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's totally teased. Yeah. Okay. I can see a bit of that, but I thought it was being teased when it actually happened a few issues ago. And his rage came out and I thought, okay, next issue, we're going to see the effects of that. But it was immediately after that in that issue that it seemed to me that he had already accepted it. And he was, I think he's going to like, they're going to have a big uh, confrontation and what form that's going to take. I don't know. Um, But I think that there, there's a huge rift between the two of them now and that, I think that is probably, I don't know, like I could totally, I could see Strongbow's snapping, you know, because again, I feel like he's, he's trying to convince himself that everything's okay, but really he's not okay with it. And it's sort of bubbling under the surface and he's really doing his best to keep it together and be cool and just be like, okay, you know, she made her choice. It's the way I'm going to move on, but he's not quite fully there yet. And I feel like maybe the thing that's going to get him there mm-hmm. is is whatever is going to happen between him and Lita. And they're going to, 
something's bad is going to happen and I hope that the both of them come through it and then they be both, you know, begin to get some healing out of it. And I think maybe that is what is going to get Strongbow to that place of like really truly accepting it and not just saying he's accepting it. So you're saying this is the calm before the storm. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So we'll see. But I feel like, you know, I mean, Lita is like addressing it and she's saying, like, yeah, she, she does say she can only feel his blame. So, yeah. And so yeah. I feel like that probably is, again, foreshadowing that something is going to come down and it's not going to be pretty. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. All right. So moving on to um, to, well, to to the quest for Cutter. Yeah. Um, you know, that's where the rest of a big part of the rest of the issue is really focused. Um, and so, you know, we have this interaction between Skywise and Tamane and, you know, she kind of reiterates that without saying it directly that the two of them are separated. So like, they've got to go find him, go find Cutter. And, you know, he can tell you, he only, he can tell you what, what he really wants and what's going to happen next. And then we get that really great panel at the bottom, which I just adore um, that Wendy had put out as sort of a little teaser a couple months ago um, of sort of the, the questing party, if you will, right. The adventurers, um, you know, Nightfall, Lita, Red Lance, Skywise, Dreon, and at least for the moment, Tree Stump and Clearbrook, mm-hmm. you know, on their, on their wolves and or no humps. And uh, yeah. that panel to me just is also kind of like a little bit of a classic elf quest. It has a very sort of, I don't know, eighties, fantasy adventure feel to it definitely yeah yeah and i love it for that so Mm -hmm. um i also love that we're getting to see a little bit of distinction in the wolves yes you know in terms of their their fur color and their facial patterns and things like that that's something that i feel like in the beginning you know especially with star jumper and night runner we they had unique faces and facial patterns and everything and in fact the entire wolf pack did in the original quest Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I get that you can't really that that becomes overwhelming if you're going to do that for all of these wolves over all this time. And then the continuity issues is it this wolf or that wolf and this story, and that story over you know the course of 20,000 years. But um, I really love that we're getting to see a little bit more of that uniqueness in the wolves again in Final Quest. Definitely. Uh, I mean, one of the great parts about the original quest is, you know, the, the wolves had personalities themselves like Star Jumper and Night Runner were huge parts of the story right um and really important characters and uh i think to some extent that's been missing a little bit in the past little while as far as the storylines um but with this issue in particular we get more of a feel of that uh specifically with filcher right who shows up during cutter's um madness yeah uh, run through the woods um yeah absolutely yeah i mean but i mean before we dive into that though i mean i do think that we've gotten elements of of the wolves as characters over the years and you know i'm thinking of patience you know tilly's wolf and i'm thinking of you know choplicker was introduced in the original quest i'm thinking of holdfast who you know sort of had a little bit of a personality and had a little bit of a role nothing like Night Runner's role did, but um, same thing with Filcher. You know, we kind of got a little bit of a personality quirk. You know, he likes to steal things, and that's where his name comes from, and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. Um, so I think we've seen that, and I also think that 
I, I think it would be probably not a wise storytelling choice to try to make that happen all the time. I mean, maybe there's never going to be another Night Runner and Star Jumper, and I'm actually okay with that. Yeah. Um, you know, if every wolf friend gets the the airtime that those two did, um, I don't know. I feel like it. Not that it would take away from their specialness, but it, we kind of have seen that already in the story, and so. I don't know. I kind of, I'm okay with it. If we don't get a really prominent wolf personality that mm-hmm. said, I'm totally on board with what you, what you were just saying that it's kind of really nice to see the wolves playing a little bit more of a role and to seeing them as characters and, and that kind of thing. And you're absolutely right. I mean, good old Filcher who is in his old age at this point, yeah. um, you know, it's Filcher who snaps cutter out of his, his madness really. Right. right. I mean, you know, we had these. Well, okay. So before we get to that, let's talk about. The, Isn't that the, interesting? Just uh, this just occurred to me that two characters are snapped out of their madness in this issue. First with Rayek, right, and then with Cutter. That's a really interesting observation. I didn't even pick up on that, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's again Cutter and Rayek as sort of the light and shadow sides of the same. Yeah. Mirrors of each other. Yeah, mirrors of each other. That's yeah. really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is. I and now I'm just thinking of it even more. Well, and Rayek's possessed or by the spirit of Winnowill, and Cutter is not possessed, but is a part of the spirit of Tamane. Right. Yeah. Hmm. No, there's just, definitely parallels there. No yeah. doubt. About it. Yeah. No doubt about it. Um. Hmm. But but before we get to the filter scene, I mean, we yep. got this holy crap scene on many levels, like holy crap from the, you know, what's actually going on with Cutter and his madness and his shutting down his brain so that he's not thinking because he doesn't trust who he is. And, you know, all of that just crazy intensity. Then you have the, oh, wow moment of the art. I mean, yes. this is, this is Kings of the Broken Wheel issue number seven level intensity and artistic choice and, you know, I mean, it. Cutter is in the deep, dark woods, and everything about these pages screams it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the style is really sketchy, really rough, really conveys the sort of um, the mental state that he's in at this point, where everything is really chaotic and and dark, um, and twisted. Uh, yeah. Like the, these these trees that he's amongst the plant life, it's all very sort of encroaching and twisted and uh, very wild. Wild is the great mm-hmm. word, yeah. And I think that's yeah. exactly it. Cutter is running wild. Like he is, he has gone to his like bassist self, you know, sort of the the wolfiest part of himself. Um, yeah. And that's his solace right now. That's the only place where he can go to, you know, keep some remnant of his sense of self. Um, well, I, what I appreciate about this so much, Wendy and Richard both mentioned this in our interview with them, that they were going to do something along these lines in this issue, um, where it would be sort of, uh, experimental to some extent, I guess, or, or quite different stylistically from. Right. Yeah. And I like when, um, an artist takes a risk like that and does something sort of outside of the box as far as what we've come to expect um and on top of that the style that wendy's chosen to depict cutter in this state in is very evocative um of 
his mental state. So it works on the level of communicating the story as well as sort of um, giving us a different um, artistic style to enjoy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, it really, I mean, just the, the shift in the art style does just really emphasizes the, 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 the weightiness of these scenes. And um, I think it's effective, you know, and then, you know, then we see him like, you know, tearing apart this, you know, this little tree mammal that he kills for food, which is totally fine. But, you know, I mean, he really, again, is in his wolfiest aspect of his being is just coming to the fore and it's saving him in a way, um, which is kind of an interesting thing. And then, and then you have this reference to Timor and yellow eyes, yeah. which I thought was really interesting. And I Me wonder too. what that means. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to suggest that we're going to see more of Timor in this storyline coming up. I, I would love that. Cause I think he's one of the most fascinating characters um, design wise backstory wise um you know what yeah i mean he's just yeah. kind of awesome and badass and cool and um you know i don't know that i would want to get him in the spotlight and get a whole story about him but i love it when he pops up in the story because he just so viscerally that that wolf spirit that exists in the wolf riders today in in a small way mm-hmm. he's just the embodiment of it well who better to sort of communicate the idea of the two halves becoming whole than to mourn um, if that's in fact what Cutter needs at this moment, right? And who better to draw him in if his spirit is out there somewhere than right. his own mother? Well, I, right. And it says like to mourn yellow eyes, first of the wolf blooded, first wolf rider chief, more wolf than elf. What does he know? Mm-hmm. And they don't answer it. right? Yeah. <laughs> and no, it's just is- kind of tucked in there on the bottom of the page. It's kind yeah. of easy to miss in all of Cutter's ravings and, you know, they just kind of drop that in there and then move right along. But I am deeply interested to see if anything comes of that. I think it's definitely foreshadowing and we're going to see something with Tamorn coming up. Um, But yeah, like you said, this is what Cutter needs to do right now to sort of forget about what's happening is to revert as much as he possibly can to the wolf side of himself the part yeah. that you forget um of course it's cutter so it's not going to last right he can't he's the one who remembers so he he can't forget for long um but for I, now at least it seems to give him some sort of respite yeah no i think you're right i mean i think that's a really astute observation that this is cutter and cutter remembers and and i don't think that he's going to be able to stay in this mode forever um, but you know, that's where he is now. And it's really viscerally represented until he, you know, encounters this wolf pack mm-hmm. and, you know, who knows what would have happened if Filcher had not finally caught up with Cutter after he, you know, dodged him by going into the troll tunnels and, you know, dashing away and running away. And, and, you know, Filcher obviously has been tracking him and picked up his scent, and Lord knows how far Cutter has been able to get in his mad, you know, wild dashing to the woods. And so, well, he uh, seemed to have gone through the troll tunnels, right? right? Because that's where the uh, our little merry band of elves tracked him to. Exactly. To the troll yeah. tunnels. So uh, I was trying to figure that out. So he he must have run 
into the troll tunnels and then he went up through some tunnel somewhere and ended up in the woods somewhere, I guess. Yeah. What happened, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think it was last issue. Mm-hmm. Skywise even makes a reference to the um, troll names and soul names story that was in the, in all but blood graphic novel, the one that Sonny illustrated um, and that, you know, Wendy wrote, Wendy and Richard wrote. Um, and I think Sonny might've been part of the writing of that too, where Cutter ends up spending the better part of a year blindfolded in the troll tunnels in his youth. Um, and yeah. Skyway says, you know, he's known the troll tunnels blindfolded, you know, since he was a cub. And I thought that was a nice little nod to that. So, yeah. So it sounds like, you know, he bolts out of the halt in his crazed and he, he goes underground, literally like goes to ground, which is the term that I've heard Wendy used about sort of, you know, the hero's journey where, you know, the shit hits the fan and the hero is just kind of at rock bottom, which is what Cutter is going through now. Mm-hmm. He goes underground he bolts through the the troll tunnels, their twisted winding pathways, and ends up in some other exit on the other side of the woods that the wolf riders live in. And then he takes off like a nut. And again, Lord only knows how far he's gotten away from the halt. And so Filcher, it wasn't like he could just like run after Cutter. Like I'm sure when Cutter went underground, Filcher was stopped at the door. And then he had, it took some time for him to kind of pick up the trail wherever Cutter came out. And so he's finally caught up with him here. And like we were saying, that's what snaps Cutter out of his, you know, kind of like Winkin in a way. You know, if you think about Winkin languishing in the Sun Village, pining for Audrey and really not knowing what to do or where to go or, or anything, you know, he was kind of lost himself and he, he got snapped out of it when, uh, Skywise and Lita ended up in the Sun Village. Well, Filcher kind of does the same thing and snaps Cutter out of it. And that, that caption there, that kind of represents like Cutter thinking but not thinking, like the mm-hmm. purple captions. You know, it's like if there's no Cutter, can anything have a name? Wait, what was it? Remember? Oh, Filcher. And it's kind of like he snapped back into reality. He's like, Wolfram yeah. tracked me only to die with me. And then that's where we leave the two of them being surrounded by this hungry wolf pack. And I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I well, mean, I don't, I don't think Cutter is going to get eaten by the wolves, no. but I think that Filcher might. That's exactly what I was thinking too. I mean, either it could go either way, but obviously at this point, Cutter is not going to get eaten by these wolves, but Filcher might. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, you know, it's already been pointed out that he's he's aging, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what happens in the wolf pack. You know, I mean, if once you get old, you know. It's it's not a um, the the natural world isn't a coddling place. And no, so, and plus this isn't even his pack. This totally. Is his pack, right? And 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 I can tell you that what happens with wolves who are you know social animals and they have territories, they are efficiently brutal at putting down any any outsider um, that comes into their turf. And mm-hmm. so I think I, I have a, just an awful foreboding feeling that Wendy and Richard are going to accurately portray what happens in a wolf pack when um, an interloper shows up and that, um, you know, that, that good old Filcher is, is in for a rough go um, that he might yeah. not, not, might not make it out of. I, I'm pretty certain that Cutter is going to get pretty brutalized as well, because well, yeah. think of the cover of the next issue of issue 14. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he's lying on the ground. He's obviously just beaten to crap, um, you know, wounded and, and the scary elves, the fungus among us elves Mm -hmm. are, are, are sort of converging on him. So yeah, 
I don't and know. I, I mean, even just sort of contemplating how this could play out, um, if these wolves attack Cutter and Filter, um, Filter would fight back. I, I don't see Cutter running away. He would also be involved in that as well. He'd be fighting back as well. Oh, so, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You know, how how he would survive that attack, I mean, they're outnumbered, what, what is it, like six to two or something, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, how is he going to get out of this, regardless of whether Filter dies or not, if Cutter... Yeah, oh, I mean, we're just going to have to wait and see, and this is, you know, obviously sort of going to be a difficult cliffhanger for us to deal with until the next issue comes out. Yeah, because, I mean, we don't want filter to die poor guy i know uh, i will say that um you know we were just talking about the you know the, the rendering of the wolves and i totally adore the again just sort of the realism that wendy is drawing the wolves with in this issue um you know that page when this wolf pack shows up just they're they're just so wolfy and real looking and, and awesome and amazing and yeah I, think, I really like um filter jumping out of the uh the scrub there uh like the yeah. angry wolf look she really captures that that um canine rage <laughs> totally totally yeah so um you know even though these wolves might eat cutter and filter i still like them <laughs> yeah, yeah no, um, she a good job mm-hmm. so so yeah i mean we we're just gonna have to wait and see what happens but um it sounds like, or I guess it looks like, based on the cover of issue 14, that we're finally going to get to meet those scary elves and learn a little bit more about them. And, you know, maybe, who knows, maybe they're the ones that, maybe they save Cutter from this wolf pack. I mean, who knows what could happen? Maybe, yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the issue, the next thing, you know, again, you see our, what did you call them? Our merry elfin Our merry band of <laughs> elfin adventurers. Yeah. yeah, we see them, you know, it sort of takes a light, a lighthearted twist at this part because they're entering into the troll caverns and we see Drayon napping on his pony, which is a little <laughs> cute, yeah. cute thing there. And, you know, we get to see Oddbit with her facelift and yes. <laughs> plastic <laughs> surgery, courtesy yes. of Mender. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, there's a little fun exchange there. And, you know, yeah. Nightfall gets right to the point, like, OK, tell us what's going on. And, you know, we, we it's confirmed that Cutter ran through the troll tunnels and, um, you know, mostly this is just sort of getting the, the, the merry band of questers from point A to point B, but we get a little bit of trollish humor, you know, yeah, and we love seeing the trolls, right? Uh, totally. Yeah. Time to show up. It's fun. Um, yeah. yeah. And Audrey is living in the troll tunnels or she, she's there, I guess, because she was down working with, uh, tree stump and Clearbrook, Right. Right. And she seems to know which tunnel cutter escaped from. So she's going to show them the way. Right. Yeah, I get the sense, you know, we were talking about Tree Stump and Clearbrook living, you know, part time underground, but, you know, still living the Wolf Rider life um, outside. And I get the sense that Audrey is pretty much underground full time. Yeah, you think so? Well, I mean, obviously not exclusively, but she's down there. Um, Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm kind of scrolling back here. I don't see her when. Yeah, I mean, she's not in the Holt. No. So, like, they, they meet up with her when they get to the troll tunnels, mm-hmm. is what it seems like. Well, I guess she's pretty busy. Maybe, you know, she, I don't know what the situation is in the troll tunnels, uh, apart from Tree Stump and Clearbrook 
forging weapons, but maybe the trolls have asked Audrey to help create new tunnels or something, and she's helping them out. Yeah, maybe. And I think what would be that would be amazing fodder for some fan art or fanfic. Actually, you know what what is Audrey up to underground, and what's life like now that the trolls are back? And you and know, tree, is tree uh, tree stump is two edge down there still? Well, the last we saw, what happened to him? He. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, the last we saw him, Audrey found him sulking after Venka decided to leave with the palace and yeah. kind of brought him back into the fold. And that's when he agreed to help teach Tree Stump, you know, how to forge bright metal. I, and so he's yeah. got to be down there somewhere. We, we we haven't seen him in the last issue or two, but. Oh, no. I'll be interested to see what he's been up to and how he's interacting with um, Audrey and the trolls. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I hope we get to see what's going on with that. I'm sure we will, and they're not just going to leave Two Edge as a loose dangling thread. I mean, maybe eventually they will, but I think we're going to see more of him. Because um, I mean, Two Edge was sort of like a legendary figure to the trolls, right? Um, so to have him living and amongst them, yeah. But I think that bubble got burst when Picknose realized that he got duped by Two Edge, and that there really was no gold treasure; it was just metal armor for the elves. I think the whole yeah. idea of Two Edges, the legendary Smith, kind of went out the window for the trolls, and I'm quite certain that he would have passed it on to his, you know, his offspring. So, mm, yeah. Although maybe not. I mean, Flam has definitely been positioned and described as sort of a protege of you know Two Edge, and so you know, I think maybe if my take on it is that the trolls still respect his his genius at tinkering and invention and industry and all of that even if they think he's a total nutter and you know don't worship mm-hmm. him maybe the way that Graming's trolls did back in the day when two edge was growing up or i'm sorry when right. picknose was growing up so but I, i'm quite certain we're going to see more more of him i i hope so i want to know what's going on in the troll tunnels and i i'd like to see more of the trolls because i love seeing them um <laughs> One thing of note here is Trinket. Uh, I'm still holding to my theory that trolls age slower than elves because she still looks like a child to me. I mean, she she's obviously developed in some areas, mm-hmm. but um, her height, she's still so small. She Yeah, she is kind of small. Um, and there was an interesting... Um, conversation going on this on Facebook. Um, not really a conversation, just a few comments. And Wendy actually chimed in. Um, oh, okay. I mean, and that. so um, you know, the, the, it was basically uh, somebody had commented on you know Trinket's still looking very young. The basically what you just said, even though she's obviously physically developed and you know, but she's like wearing like these frilly clothes and everything. And um, I can't remember everybody who was involved, but. Um, the the a comment was made that you know oddbit you know is all about manipulating the men around her because that's what she knows how to do and in her version of troll society that's how a woman gets ahead and and so it was this idea that you know trinket is deliberately dressing in a in a juvenile fashion and acting you know sort of little girlish around picknose because that's exactly what she knows is going to get picknose to do whatever she wants now that doesn't explain her height, but maybe she's just a short troll. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, because um, she's obviously got a, an adult body. You know, 
but and, and and you know at a minimum i i can't do the math right now but she's probably in her 50s so mm-hmm. and you're yeah maybe maybe trolls do grow more slowly maybe she's just shorter but i do think that she's totally an adult oh but my main point in bringing up the facebook conversation is that wendy was like bingo that's like you nailed it her comment on um that's what she said in reference to the comment that trinket has this little girlish thing going on because that's how she basically manipulates Picknose into doing whatever she wants. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think um, it actually does make total sense, especially when you throw the object piece in and that, you know, she's her mother's daughter. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And of course she wants a pony. And she wants a pony. That was freaking genius. Yeah. <laughs> was... I just think, yeah, just totally hysterical, right? It's mm-hmm. just like every yeah. stereotype of like a spoiled little rich girl, like, I want a pony. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course she does. Yeah. So I thought that was great. Get it. And she probably will get it. Exactly. She might. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Picknose stepped in poop when he, yeah. he put his foot down. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, the so, trolls the trolls are back, and and I think we're all loving it. Mm-hmm. Um. Next, we're back to the Wave Dancers Cove, and we've got uh sort of an interlude here with Corafay and Sunstream, which, by the way, I think is a a really nice juxtaposition between you know fathers and daughters. You know, we see Picknose and Trinket, and how they are, and then we see. Sunstream and Korofe and their interaction, and it couldn't be more different. Definitely, yeah. I'm just reading um, the dialogue here that the two of them have. Um, it's funny that Korofe should say she wished she lived in the palace with Sunstream. Um, I think it's being sort of foreshadowed now more than ever, which direction each of the major players is going to go in as far as the choice that they're going to make as, as to whether they're going to leave in the palace or stay. Right. I, I definitely think so too. But what's interesting is that is what Sunstream says is that, you know, it's this whole um, idea that I don't know, like life on the world of two moons is actually like an essential rite of passage, you know, you know, I hate to use the word earn, but it's the best word I can think of, like to earn your place in the palace. And it really kind of harkens back to Tumane saying like, no, we're not just going to go whisk up all these elves. Like if they are going to get here, they have to do it on their own terms. And because to do anything else to sort of take away their choice and to, to make it easy for them kind of negates the whole point of, well, really not the whole point, but like the whole thing that Tumane learned by coming there, which was a lesson of pain that like living is a good thing and being challenged is a good thing. And having a magical solution to everything is not really all that it's cut out to be. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of what we're hearing Sunstream kind of echoing here that, you know, when you are done and you have gotten the experiences that you need to get, you'll know it. But until then, don't necessarily rush it. Um, I mean, he doesn't tell her no, but he just says like, you're not like you have more songs to sing, I guess. And so I, th- it's just really, really interesting. I don't know where it's all going to end up or, you know. Well, I guess it's the whole idea of the lesson of pain, right? Yeah. Which is the Tamane's Tim, sort of her message, I suppose. Yeah. Her, her descendants. Right. And, and And Sunstream is just sort of picking up on that. Well, and I and what I really love about this scene is that it it's such a 
a great um, again the, the 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 weaving of the thread across all of the different elf quest tales that we've seen over the course of these decades. And this is like the the like right out of the th- the themes that we saw in in one of my favorite stories, which is that the the story full circle in the in all but blood graphic novel, and that's the story of when. They, after shards, the wolf riders went back to the original halt where they're living now, and the 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 spoiled magic of Mad Coil that was kind of even further tainted by the feud between the Spirit Man and Bear Claw was still there, ten thousand years later, basically spoiling everything. And it really took Sunstream to kind of conquer it. But that whole story was about Sunstream trying to be something he wasn't, and you know he got wounded trying to hunt like a wolf rider, and Lita. At, you know, showing her own character development, decided not to just fix every boo-boo and that she left him partially healed so that he could feel what it's like to be alive. And I just thought that was such a great story. I've said it a million times. It's one of my favorite ElfQuest stories. And right here we have, like, exactly thematically that same thing happening. And now it's Sunstream who's grown up and he understands it and he's got wisdom probably far beyond his years because, again, he's only, what, 50 or something at this point. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he has this sort of high one-esque wisdom about him just by his very nature. And he's imparting this wisdom from the in all but or the full circle story to his own daughter. I just think yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with you. Um Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say the other thing that I really love about this page is that first panel. I mean, line of beauty, line of beauty, line of beauty, line of beauty. You know, Corvée <laughs> sitting yeah. on this sort of rocky, corally, seaweedy outcropping in the in the swishing waves, and her hair and her dress and her her you know her body and the 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 rocky coral and the waves. All of it is just it's line of beauty. It just that's it right there. Although that rock pile does <laughs> does kind of look like a pile of zwit <laughs> dung. Wait. Wait, what dung? <laughs> say it, Zwoot? say it. <laughs> Don't make me do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so here here is the challenge to everybody. Um, how do you pronounce Z W O O T? Zwoot, zwoot, something else. <laughs> what did I say? Zwoot. That's what you said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've done really well. Saying anything, any names that we haven't really talked about, but you can't escape. (laughs) Then I had to pick like the weirdest one. (laughs) I mean, and I'm giving you grief, but who knows? I might be saying it incorrectly. I have always said it as Zwoot, but maybe it is what in my head. It sounds a certain way, but coming out of my mouth, it doesn't <laughs> quite match up. Uh, I love it. <laughs> so anyway, the the large humped creatures from the desert. It does, yes, maybe look like that, but it also looks exactly like what a again a rocky outcropping on covered in algae would look like at low tide. So I'm going with that. <laughs> it, it's either that or Gorfe had something that. Re- ate something that really didn't agree with her. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm just going to move right on from that image. Um, Line of beauty. What <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, all right. So, but the other really neat thing or neat probably isn't the right word. The other interesting thing 
is that last panel, this little conversation that happens with Winkin and Venka and um, Rake and Ekwar, where, you know, Venka being sort of rising above it all is, is, you know, making the point like, you know, dad, you just punish those humans, but it's really not our place to do that, especially when we gave them these horrific weapons via two edge, um, which is an interesting thing, but I think in character for, for Venka's kind of worldview, Rake, of course, says something also totally in character. He's like, yeah, let's blame two edge. And, you know, and then, and then Ekwar says the most interesting thing. And we who should return to the stars, those that can, lest we do more unintended harm. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, I think that's in character for, for Ekwar. You know, he doesn't want to harm anybody and he's willing to take the blame and, you know, and all that. But just the, given the context of everything else that's going on in Final Quest, I thought that was a really interesting thing for him to say. Like, like almost it sounds like he's saying, you know, the humans on some level are justified in doing what they're doing and that us being here is causing harm. And so we right. should get out of here. And it's even, even worse is that we know that he doesn't leave. You know, we know that he ends up, ends right. up stuck on the world of two moons, babysitting Rayek who can't let go of Winnowill um, for who knows how long. Right. And so I just <laughs> thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and also this just occurred to me, but do you remember in Dreamtime, Tree Stump's dream? Or no, was it it was Nightfalls, actually. Where she says something along the lines I'm just gonna pull out Dreamtime right now. Okay. I don't wanna see exactly what it is. Just give me a sec. Okay. I'll call it up on my computer. Because of course I have my laptop in front of me with Skype going on and with elfquest.com open, and then I also have my iPad with the the issue open, so I can kind of quickly scan through it. Well, first she says in her dream specifically, she says, with these shadow members of our race begins the Holt's downfall. No others are to blame. The fault is ours. Um, And then it's at the end, I think, when Pike is sort of summing up everybody's dreams. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, um... Pike says, Nightfall and Tree Stump's dreams warn that some of us may be as much to blame as the humans if we lose it again. That's in reference to the Holt. Right. Um, and then, but there's something, maybe it's Tree Stump's dream too. Which I want to come back to but that. But the weapons. It's prophetic that you just said that because of what happens at the very end of this issue, but we'll come back to that. Yeah, because there's... Well, while you're looking for it, I mean, I, I, I think I, I think that theme that the elves are not innocent has been there from, well, I mean, we first saw it in the very first appearance of Bearclaw in, you know, issue number four of the original quest, um, you know, where we learned that, yeah, he really was kind of a jerk, stealing babies, harassing the humans, all that kind of thing, a drunk. Um, and then... Short, like yeah. You know, shortly thereafter, we see the you know the the human family that stumbles into Sorrow's End, and they we kind of get to hear their perspective that the elves showed up and stole their territory and you know created monsters and and it's kind of like oh yeah they kind of did do that didn't they and I feel like over the course of the telling of ElfQuest, you know this this idea that you know the elves aren't innocent and some of the things that they've done have truly been bad things, whether it was intentional like Winnowill or or not, um, like the creation of Mad Coil or, um, you know, those 
innocent fisher folk getting slaughtered because the Jun was coming after the elves, you know, um, yeah. or, 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 you know, the big one introducing guns into the world <laughs> mm-hmm. um, long before the humans would have invented them themselves. So this idea that some among the elves are, you know, they are shadow figures and they are causing more harm than good, even to the humans, which are the victims is, has been there. And I think we're, you, you, I, I didn't, I totally forgot that that cropped up in dream time. And so I'm, it's so awesome that you brought that up, but it, I think it makes total sense to me. Yeah. The thing about tree stumps dream is just the general idea behind it, which is that um, the elves making weapons sort of leads, leads to their, their own downfall. Um, totally. Totally. Yeah. 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 I'm, yeah. I never, I never connected I, that, that dot there. I don't know if that connects directly to two edge making guns, but it, it oh. seems maybe it does on, on some. No, no, some no, 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 no. I think you're totally right because here, like I, I have been waiting for a literal interpretation of that dream to come to pass. Right. So I've been waiting for tree stump to create some metal sword or something that's going to stab Clearbrook. Mm, and okay. I've been kind of waiting with terror for that. Um, and I can't imagine that actually happening. So then it's like, well, why did they put that in dream time? But what you just said, I think is like the bullseye, right? I mean, tree stumps dream was this fear and anxiety that, you know, the elves are, are going to do something that backfires on them. Mm-hmm. Right. And what better way to describe what two edge went ahead and did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's the yeah. secret. Like, again, it's not a literal interpretation because dreams oftentimes aren't literal. Right. No, but the message the, the message that you distill out of Tree Stump's dream is that we made something that ended up hurting us. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly. just what happened to this issue. Right. Yeah. Yes. I think you nailed yeah. it. Yeah. Maybe I did. <laughs> yeah. I'm just yeah. I'm letting it soak in. <laughs> mm. um, this is why I love doing this podcast with you, by the way, because. I never would have thought of that unless you said it. And now my mind is exploding and yeah. wheels are turning and it's like the great egg. Cause now I'm going to go back and read dream time and <laughs> think of it differently and you know, all that. So the thing that I'm waiting for about dream time is um, the mystery I want resolved is nightfall at the very end when she realizes the way to stop the, uh, how to save the lives of her loved ones. And then she says, then the answer comes clear as morning dew drops widen. I think of it before, just as triumph seems within my grasp, everything vanishes. And I forget what it was I might have done to save my dear ones. Right. What is it? No idea. No idea. (laughs) I do need to go back and reread Dreamtime. Wendy has been cryptically saying, you know, reread Dreamtime, reread In All But Blood. Um Mm-hmm. I need to go back and do that. I haven't read it in a while. And it's actually one of my favorite stories, even though a lot of it, I think, is still a little amorphous. And yeah. and what we just talked about is a perfect example. Like, I never really could quite understand what Tree Stump's dream meant. And now I feel like, at least at least in one way, that we're seeing that come to fruition in the actual story. Definitely. Via Two Edge, which is even more interesting that Two Edge is now Tree Stub's mentor. Yeah. The layers if, and layers of connectivity mm, here are just. <laughs> what if they. Oh. 
I just thought of something. What, what? if Two Edge teaches Tree Stump how to make guns? What if they start making firearms? Oh my God! Go backs with guns. You called it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that would be mind blowing. I wouldn't even know. What and to then say, if the humans, uh, if the humans get a hold of that, maybe I don't know. Maybe something like well, that. Well, I mean, they've already gotten a hold of guns, and they've not only replicated what Two Edge yeah. did, but they've expanded it into like cannons and stuff over the course of a decade. So, I don't know. I don't know. I, I yeah. mean. That, that could very well happen, uh, but I don't know that it would need to happen in terms of the story. No. Um, so mm. so the the last bit here of yes. this issue, um, we, we get to um, revisit with a <laughs> maybe well a... Well-loved character. Uh, yes, a well-loved character, none other than Du Bois. Du Bois. <laughs> And I hate to laugh because poor Du Bois is not um, faring too well. And um, I didn't think we'd ever see him again. I thought he was done. I yeah. I thought, okay, that's the end of that character. No, yeah. here he is. Yeah. Yeah. Playing a, a pretty significant role, at least in this issue. Right. And I don't know that we all, we will ever see him again after this, but. Um, well, he made it out, right? Like he. Well, yeah. I mean, they make the, yeah, they make the point that they're not going to kill him because he's the doctor and they need him. But they are. They basically tortured him. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. And they must have tortured him pretty badly for him to give up what he knows about where Cutter's tribe is, which is what he did. Yes. Um, Radar. Right. So, but. Um, but I really loved, I mean, you know, I feel bad for Du Bois. I mean, I don't have a connection with him as a character the way that I do the elves or, you know, even the human characters like Shuna or even Corbasi, who hasn't really gotten that much screen time. But, you know, I, I pity him, but I, I'm not invested in Du Bois' story per se. But, um, I, you know, interesting plot twist that makes yeah. total sense in terms of how the I, I don't even know what to call them anymore. The humans, the Junsmen. I mean, the Jun is dead, but um, you know his commander of the sea and war. Um, you know, uh, or what's yeah. the other guy? There's two of them there. Captain? The, no, there's a captain. Yeah, enraged. And... There's the commander of the sea and the war, which is the guy with the blonde mutton chops, and then there is yep. the the commander, who's the guy with the real hook nose. Yes. Yeah. So these two are sort of you know, maybe going to rise to a little bit more prominence since the Jun is dead and be sort of the uh, archetypical bad guys um, from the human side. I don't know if they'll get yeah, flushed I out. And... I was kind of wondering about that after the Jun died. I was thinking, okay, well, who's going to take his place now as sort of the, you know, the, the main antagonist amongst the humans who's going to fill that void. Yeah. I don't so, know. I, I don't yeah. know that the story needs another, you know, yet another, Jun, if you will, or, you know, a spirit man, like sort of a, a prominent human character. I think, I think it could get by just fine with the humans, you know, at least this aspect of them just sort of being that sort of in the background threat and, and in the background isn't right because they're obviously going to be more than just in the background, but I don't know that you need a, like a character personality to be the focus of that. Um, 
since we have seen these really prominent human characters, like I, I think so much is going on amongst the elves themselves that the human threat is going to evolve to be sort of this dire threat, but it's sort of like a background threat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Although I, I kind of get the feeling, though, that this commander guy is, is going to step into that role. So. I think he's going to step into that role, but I don't think it's going to be as 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 fleshed out as as either one of the Jones. Because, you know, what else are you going to do? Like, we've already seen human warlords, and we've seen two, frankly, very different versions of that between Gromuljan and, and Angrifjan. But, you know, I don't know. Are they going to do that a third time? Yeah, like it might guy? just be it might just be now sort of like the human army, the Junslander army sort of represents that. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, as like a as a whole. Yeah, without really I mean. focusing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I did love getting to see that little flashback of um, Ember's tribe, where Du Bois <laughs> is talking to Molly and telling her that you know I'm I'm really not cut out for this life, and and you know Ember kind of said that in the very you know, when they first got adopted by the tribe when they were still little kids, you know, she kind of says, like, are they really cut out for this? And obviously Molly and Tinge and um, the other guy, what do we call him? The nameless one or the... Uh, uh, we yeah, called him yeah, something. Yeah, Richard came up with something. Um, I have to look it up now. Um, for mm-hmm. the, the character profiles on the website. Um, oh, what do we end up calling him? Um, just give me a second and I'm going to look it up. Sure. The who's who, the human. But yeah, I, I do like this, the flashback though. And that, what I like about that is that um, it sort of shows that not everybody wants to live with the elves, you know? Yeah. Like some humans are like, no, this isn't really for me. Like, I want to go live with humans and do my own thing. Like, this, the boy wants to be a, a doctor, I guess. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, apparently his uh, dad was, and, you know, his yeah. village was destroyed and his parents were probably killed, but he wants to go walk in his father's footsteps and you know i mean shuna herself couldn't live yeah. with the elves you know and oh. so I, I i agree with you I, I i like that that element is in there because it's it's all too easy to see the elves as like these idealized perfect creatures but they're really not and i yeah. think wendy and richard have done a really good job at sort of making that point periodically like you know yeah they, they are human like there's humans who have other aspirations than just living in the forest with right. magical elves. Right? Yeah. So I, I found it. Um, Richard dubbed okay. him or- Orphan Boy <laughs> because oh, orphan boy. Okay. he never yeah. got given a name. So I don't know if he ever yeah. will. But um, but anyway, yeah, I really like that panel. Just you know, I mean, getting to see. I, I always love getting to see the you know the clothing that Wendy puts the elves in, and this is obviously a flashback. So. You know, who knows if this is their current clothing or not, but we see Talit is back in her poncho and she's got a new necklace that's leaf shaped and these cool gloves. And, um, you know, I don't know. Tenge is very, very elfin in her um, body posture, too, which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, like Um, if she had pointed ears, she could totally be an elf. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I, I. I am totally on board with you too. I love seeing them in their different outfits. Um, and yeah, absolutely. These humans who have been raised and lived with the elves for so long, sort of start to pick up on their mannerisms and their way of being right. and embody that in, in themselves as humans. Um, one thing I was just thinking, um, how would Ember react to finding out? I'm sure she's going to that, uh, 
that Dubois has betrayed them. Um, obviously under duress and torture, and I thought, oh, she's going to be pissed, especially given how she reacted to. Remember way back at the yeah. end, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in issue six, I guess it was when she said humans, and she was looking at them like this isn't really the the greatest idea, maybe to be having humans living with us, you know, and it, it might sort of drive her to that point of of um, you know maybe not taking revenge, but. Who knows? Like, yeah, yeah, no. But then it just occurred to me, she's been tortured, so maybe hmm. her reaction to Du Bois would be tempered, knowing that he went through the exact same thing that she did, and that could be kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I didn't think about that. I didn't really think about the question of how Ember would react because. I'm not sure again that we'll ever see Du Bois again in the story, but if it would make th- those are totally sort of logical connections to make, right? Like, you know, sort of we we we've been shown that Ember has sort of a resentment towards humans after um, what she went through after her torture, and and yet she's gone ahead and raised these these four human kids in her tribe. So I kind of assume like, Oh, she's all cool with it, but you're bringing up interesting points and parallels and maybe we will see him again. And maybe we'll see. You know what? I I think we will see him. I don't think his story's over yet just because they specifically make the point that he's still alive and now they're headed towards Icehold. Right. So that's true. He's He's, he's with them. Yeah. That's totally, you're, you're totally right. And And Ember's in the hold right now. Oh, you're right. Yeah. All right, see? So there could be, it out. <laughs> yeah, so there could be uh, a confrontation, or at yeah. least an encounter of sorts, right, between Ember and Du Bois. Right. I mean, the, the elves will find out at some point that, uh, like, how did these Jonsmen find them? Right, yeah. Well, it, you're absolutely right. I think, yeah, that makes total sense that that, that, that would end up being where the story's going to go. Uh, but I think the big question mark is if if something like that does happen is how will ember react and i could see it going either way you know again it's been hinted at that she has this resentment and maybe she'll lash out um maybe she'll she's grown and has moved beyond that and maybe she'll respond with empathy because she's been tortured um maybe both who knows you know i could see her initially lashing out in anger towards him and then him revealing what happened and then her empathizing with him Right. That's what I'm gonna say is gonna yeah. happen. So well, yeah. everybody, put your money on that. Ryan is making another one of his predictions. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if this one comes true or not. Yeah. So that pretty much takes us to the end of this issue. Um, yeah. You know, we sort of end with the humans ominously heading across the ocean from Junsland to the continent known as Iceholt, and. Um, you know, that's where the original quest took place, where Blue Mountain and the palace are and where the wolf riders and their halt are. And, um, I, you know, as much as as much action and drama and battles happened in this issue, I feel like this shit has is about to hit the fan with Cutter, with Strongbow and Lita, with, um, you know, the humans and the wolf riders. So um, with with the the scary elves who are featured prominently on the front cover of the next issue, which I am dying to meet. I must know about these elves. <laughs> finally, finally, yeah. finally. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, so otherwise, the only thing else in the issue was um, a, a kind of an interesting letters page, which was less, I think, letters and more plucking from a lot of online comments, which, which frankly is where a lot of things happen nowadays. Um, people mm-hmm. don't necessarily write in traditional letters or emails even, um, but really amazing commentary and, and discussion is happening online in various places. And so that was kind of neat. And then um, yep. you know, the little extra in this issue was a sort of a, a how ElfQuest gets made, which I thought was really interesting too, not, um, not really ever having worked in digital um, mediums as far as art goes to see sort of the layer of color without the lines on it and mm-hmm. how kind of crazily cartoonish it looks. Um, yeah. But when it gets put underneath the, um, you know, the inking, how interesting yeah. it is, you know, how, how yeah, it, well, it, uh, it works. I love seeing the process. That's, it's so interesting to me um, to see how it all comes together. Yeah. Artistic process is fascinating, so I love yeah. those bits like that. Yeah, me too. And 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 we have gotten definitive confirmation that at least some of the elves, um, their clothing is on a totally separate Photoshop player because yeah, both yeah. Reef and um, well, I guess Reef would have been naked anyway, but yeah, Miss Corifay is you know totally all natural until mm-hmm. I guess the next layer gets added in and her flimsy you know wispy see-through dress gets added but uh i thought that was funny <laughs> yeah yeah everybody uh i guess wendy and and uh sunny and richard are getting a peep show before uh, <laughs> goes to publication yeah so so yeah so that's pretty much it for the for the issue i think you know a solid issue a good kind of reprieve issue after the big major in capital letter you know bombshells of the last yeah. issue or two Yet it's yeah. certainly not a sleeper issue, right? It's like a no. whole bunch of stuff happens and there's action and there's drama and revelations and, you know, battles and um, deep thoughts and a whole bunch of stuff is crammed in here. But yeah. yet it feels like a little bit of a breath after the last issue. Definitely nothing uh, co- of cosmic importance or earth shattering uh, implications in this issue. Just a, a fast paced, nice adventure story. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that's pretty much it. I mean, that's pretty much all there is to say about this yep. one. Um, we, you know, we'll, we get another couple months to wait until the issue 14. And um, I don't think there's any other big milestones happening other than, um, you know, we're just getting a little bit closer to getting the Final Quest Volume 2 graphic novel, which again is out in April, I believe. And the next of the Kickstarter books from Flesk, which will be the art of the story of ElfQuest, which I think is tentatively also slated for like an April-ish release. So, um, you know, it'll be a little bit of a challenge to get through the rest of January, February, and March, but I think we'll survive and, you know, we'll see yeah, what happens. I guess we'll see everyone in uh, in a couple of months and we'll be back to talk about those uh, scary elves, the fungus, right. <laughs> and and maybe and maybe some. What did you call them? Zwats? Azwood. Oh, Azwood. I don't know. Something All like right. that. All right. On that note, let's sign off, and everybody can go pronounce it how they want to. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. 
You can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcast or multimedia projects on gemendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussions on ElfQuest.com, on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The final quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, shade and sweet water.